0: Good evening and welcome to the Journey Church. It's my pleasure to be with you for the Wednesday night Bible study. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Galatians chapter 5, we're talking about the flesh and the Spirit. This is our fifth week in studying the flesh and the Spirit. And tonight's topic is on idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry and sorcery. Um, If you begin in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, you may have a heading in your Bible that says, Walking in the Spirit. Let's pick up there where it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law." Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the Kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit we will also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another." So in this text we have for some time now been focusing right there specifically on verse 19, where we have talked about adultery and fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Tonight we take up the subject of idolatry and sorcery. And so as we continue this study, specifically you see what are the works of the flesh. Now I didn't describe these myself, or write these down. This is inspired text. This is what the Holy Spirit uh, worked through Paul the writer to put into Holy Scripture. So these things that are of the flesh are the things that will grieve the Holy Spirit for sure. And so these are things not to do uh, without exception or really any explanation. It just says don't do these things. Don't walk in the flesh. and you know, I think you would agree with me, it's easier said than done. Uh, not all of these are things that probably most people have have uh, ever done in their life. There are probably things in here they have never done. But I would think that all of us in this world, since we have a fallen nature, um, hey, we've, we've done some of them, and so it is a practical and relative um, exhortation to not walk in the flesh, and I'm thankful that the Scripture tells us what walking in the flesh looks like. It's not obscure. It means what it says, and it says what it means. And so, we come to sin which modern man may think uh, does not affect him. Uh, People don't think they're affected by sin. In our own community, um, we see the consequences of a sinful behavior, of law-breaking, um, even when one is uh, controlled by a passion of their version of what is right, law-breaking is still the law and the consequences that come from it. We're specifically dealing with that right now in, in, uh, in our little town where some folks have, have uh, crossed the line, literally, and uh, they're having to deal with the consequences. And they think that sin doesn't uh, affect them. Well sin is law breaking and law breaking requires justice. There are consequences that come from it. And these sins though that we're talking about tonight specifically are idolatry and sorcery. But as we look at them more closely I believe we're going to find that these sins are not as far removed from us as we might like to think they are. probably most of us don't believe that we practice idolatry and surely we don't practice sorcery. But I think that we're going to see tonight from the root of these words of what Paul intended through the Greek and how the Greek mind understood it in those days that uh, these sins are not quite as far as removed from us as we would like to think. In your case I hope that uh, they are, but uh, for the rest of us uh, Probably is going to hit a little closer than, to home than one would expect. Most people today, however, do practice idolatry, um, and uh, many people engage in some form of sorcery. So let's prove it up from the Scripture, and uh, it is true that many Christians as well should give these words very, very careful attention, because after all, they're not written to the lost, they're written to the church at Galatia. So the first point I want to talk about is the word idolatry. Idolatry, it comes from the Greek word idolatria. Idolatria. And there's two main things to say about idolatry tonight. Concerning idolatry as it is commonly considered would be the first, and that is in the beginning stages of idolatry no one worships the idol or the image itself. It never begins with the worship of the idol. It doesn't begin that way. The idol simply served two purposes, and you need to remember this. It served two purposes. One, to localize the God it represents. That's one purpose of the idol, to localize the God the idol represents. And number two, to visualize the God it represents. To visualize the God it represents. It is simply designed, listen, it is simply designed to make it easier uh, to worship the god represented by the idol. So that's what the actual statue or the idol, the relic, uh, if you will, that's exactly what it's for. Its purpose is to localize the representation of the god and to uh, materialize it, that is to visualize that God. And in, inevitably, however, people will wind up worshiping the idol itself, not that which is behind the idol. Uh, they worship the image itself over the image maker. And so we see this in very various forms of Catholicism. Um, you have what is known as uh, the icons. Um, there was a very famous movie made years ago it's one of my favorite movies. I would commend it to you. It's called The Mission. Uh, the music is, is amazing and it's about uh, the mission to, uh, of Jesuit priests to the uh, uh, lost tribes of the Amazon. And uh, it, it is without a doubt a tragedy and uh, there is much truth to the movie historically but as you will see in the movie, you will see the veneration of the icons, the iconoclastic uh, symbols. The, you will see the veneration of the idols that are found in Roman Catholicism. And, and by the way, they don't, they don't deny this. Um, even at the Vatican, around uh, the Vatican Square, uh, above the uh, colonnade that looks into St. Peter's and to the Papal Mansion and so forth, are the statues to the saints. And uh, they pray to the saints. Thus, they represent the idols, uh, are, are what would Webster would definitely call an idol. Uh, the person behind it is represented um, in a physical place and in a visual manner. That's an idol. So I'm, I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying that you will find this in Roman Catholicism. Um, they will say the image is not an idol though. They will use the term that I have used. It is an icon. They will say it's an icon, I-C-O-N. But who can deny that the average worshipper begins to view the image itself as something holy and to be revered? I have in my office an olive wood statue of Elijah with a big sword in his hand, upraised, and it comes from a place in Israel that looks down over the valley of Megiddo, and it's where he slayed the prophets of Baal. And it's a, it is a statue that is, a recreation of the one that, that hangs at the monastery of the Carmelite Sisters. I believe that's correct where uh, the actual statue is, and, I, and, I, and you have Elijah there and his foot on the neck of a prophet of Baal about to sever his head. And it reminds me of, when I look at it, of the power of God over um, through one man, an obedient man who gave his life to obedience to the Lord, uh, what God did through him. But uh, it's just a piece of wood to me. I mean, it's it's it paid a lot of money for it. It came from Israel. It reminds me of my trip, but it's it it means nothing to me in the sense of do I worship it, pray to it, or anything. It's just something that represents. Um, it it represents a great memory and a great experience. But on the contrary, I don't have a picture of Jesus in my office. Um, I come from a... my, my persuasion uh, theologically is that that is a violation of the second commandment. We're not to have any images of God. And I would just simply put it this way, and I, and I don't go around to people's houses asking them to remove their statues of Jesus or to put cloths over their pictures of Jesus. That's that's their business. But as for me and my house, that's, that's something that, that we don't do because of this simple reason. Uh, there is no way to draw Jesus Christ without the fullness of His glory, and there's no way to represent the glory of Jesus without the fullness of His humanity. So any effort to draw Him or to paint Him or to uh, pictorialize Him or to uh, ensconce Him in stone, that it's just not something that I think is right. And, and for me, and, and the way that I read the Bible, I think it is a violation of the Second Commandment. And so, you shall have no graven images. And so, consequently, for me, the Word is where I get the image of the glory and the humanity of Jesus and all of these things. And, and uh, I, I don't want you to be hung up on that. Um, I just want you to understand I think that whether you have a statue of Elijah or you have a picture of Jesus, um, there's, there's one that can represent one thing, and there's another one that the way I, re- I see the Scripture commands us specifically we're not to do. So we're to flee idolatry in, in, in any case, and for me having a statue of Jesus would be, I think, idolatry. I think it would be a violation of this, this passage even if I didn't worship it, someone may come in and uh, think that I did. Uh, We we don't do that. And so that which is created begins receiving adoration rightfully due to the Creator. And so we worship the created instead of the Creator. And according to Romans 1, which I want you to look at, I want you to go over here to Romans chapter 1, um, verse 19, I want you to see something. Because if you're hung up on statues of Jesus, you need to get off of that because here's where it's going the water's going to hit the wheel. Romans nineteen. Uh, the section says the God's wrath on unrighteousness, and it says in verse 19, it says, "...because that what may be known of God is manifest in them, God has shown it to them." For since the creation of the world, His, inevitable, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, and nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, the birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things." So, Another reason that I don't have idols in my home to, to the Lord I worship is because I don't want somebody to think I've been given up to a, to a, uh, to a depraved mind. Um, it's, it's, my, it's my testimony. And so um, worshiping the created thing over the Creator is, is in and of itself idolatry. Well, considering idolatry as that which displaces God, let's look at that. That's the second major thing. We want to consider idolatry as it displaces God. Idolatry is not just the adoration of an image or the worship of an image. I want you to understand this. He defines, Paul defines covetousness. Write down covetousness. Paul defines covetousness as idolatry. Where does he do it? He does it in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5 where he says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. So I don't have these statues in my home because I don't want people to think I'm an idolater or have no inheritance of God. It would be kind of funny going into the preacher's house and you'd be able to sit there and say, Man, this man doesn't have any any, uh, inheritance in the kingdom of God. He's an idol worshiper. Okay? So here's Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Paul again continuing the theme, he says, "...therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, and covetousness which is idolatry." So I want you to write da- this down. Covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Ephesians 5.5, 5. Colossians 3.5. And he says, put it away. And, he, and so any strong desire, however, now listen to me. Listen, please, listen to me. Any strong desire for material things that replace our desire for God is a form of idolatry. Anything that replaces our desire for God is a form of idolatry. Now, I'm not going to get personal and specify what happens at 12 o'clock on Sundays in the fall. Now, that would just be too personal if I, if I mentioned that. And so I'm, I'm not going to mention football on Sunday afternoon. Um, anything that displaces, that displaces God for something that is created is a form of idolatry. And it, I know some of you are coughing and choking on your tongue. You're going, do you really believe that? Yeah, I, I kind of do. It seems to be what the, the Scripture says. i got to get out of church so I can go do something else. Well, what, what are you getting out of? And, and again, listen, we're friends. You know, we're, we're, we're co-laborers in this, and we're on a journey of learning what the Bible teaches. And the reality of it is, is covetousness is any strong desire that replaces the desire for God. And covetousness, the Bible has said, is idolatry. That's it. Period. Our hearts are such that they are drawn to whatever is our treasure, that's what Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew 6.21, where your heart is, there also is your treasure, or where your treasure is, there also is your heart. If our treasure is earthly things, our heart, our devotion is drawn away from God because we've got to tend to those things. We cannot serve material things in God at the same time. The Bible says in Matthew 6.24, Jesus Christ specifically says, man cannot serve both God and mammon. You have to choose which one you're going to serve. You, you just you can't. And uh, thus we can be idolaters when we make things other than God himself the priority of our life. So let me show you how the water hits the wheel or the wheel hits the road. It's just like this. Our job, our house, our family, our hobby, uh, you name it. Put our in front of it. And you'll find out what can what can become an idol for you because you covet it more than God. You replace God with that which you covet so dearly. So when we find an admon- an admonition like this, this is this is really a hard passage. I mean, it really, really is a hard passage. Um, it, it's an interesting thing though that in John 1 John chapter 5 verse 21 right before the very ending of the book John who 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 loved Jesus more than any of the of the disciples we we read in the scripture John says little children little children keep yourselves from idols keep yourselves from idols 1 John 5:21 Keep yourselves from idols. And he doesn't say, hey, listen, you you nod heads. He appeals to them as little children. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I don't think there can be any question as to what the meaning of this text is all about. We are to flee idolatry. And covetousness is idolatry that is. And you just figure out whatever you love more than God, and there, my friend, is your idol. And all you need to do, here's all you gotta do, flee from it. Run from it, run to Him, and you will have demonstrated what repentance is. It's turning from one direction and turning to another. The next one in here, he says, idolatry and sorcery. This word sorcery, number two, the word sorcery, is pharmakia. Pharmakia, that's number two. Pharmakia. I want to spell it for you because I want you to see what it looks like. P-H-A-R-M-A-K-E-I-A. Now you see that word, you see pharma. Pharma. I think of the word pharmacy. Well this is the word pharmakia. This word means witchcraft, sorcery, in magic. Witchcraft, sorcery, in magic. And so I have a couple of points under here. There's information related to this word pharmakia is found to be used in three ways in the New Testament. Excuse me, is found to be used three ways in the common Greek. One is medically to the use of drugs with with, uh, no bad meaning at all. Uh, the use of drugs with no bad meaning at all, using prescription drugs as, as given to you by your doctor legitimately and legally. Um, pharmakia also refers to the misuse of drugs so as to poison and not cure. So as to poison and not cure. And then third, pharmakia as it is used here is the practice of sorcery in witchcraft which often used drugs to cast spells and alter behavior and the others, uh, and alter, excuse me, and alter behaviors of, of other people. That's how it's used here. The practice of witchcraft and sorcery is strongly condemned in the Bible. I, I don't want you to miss this. In the Old Testament, Exodus 22:18, it absolutely forbids it, uh, witchcraft. And in the New Testament, in, Re- in Revelation twenty-one verse eight, it absolutely forbids it. Um, there is no question that it is speaking to the practice of witchcraft, of casting spells in order to change the behavior of others. Exodus twenty-two eighteen in the Old Testament, and Revelation twenty-one eight in the New Testament, it is extremely—I cannot emphasize enough—absolutely forbidden it is not to be named amongst the believers. Look over here with me in Acts chapter 19. Acts 19. In Acts 19 beginning in verse 18, the Bible says, And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it was totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the Word of God grew mightily and prevailed." Here you have a picture in the early church where you have these miracles that are glorifying Christ, and people are being uh, born again. They are are people that are uh, coming to a genuine saving faith in Christ, uh, through repentance and belief. And many of them are sorcerers, practices of witchcraft. And they not only come and repent and confess of their sorcery and witchcraft, but they also bring the tools of their trade and they are burned. And so this is, a, this is something that is very evident that is antithetical, that is completely against what it means to be a Christian. It is anti-biblical, it, it means it's completely against what, it, uh, what the Bible teaches to, be, to practice witchcraft, and it's just wrong, which just comports with our reason as humans as we read and learn this. The, the Christians do not walk and practice witchcraft and sorcery. It is not what we're to do, but it doesn't mean we're not immune from it. So let's have some examples then of this sin today, and again, the water hits the wheel. There is an increasing number of religions based upon the occult that make the use of drugs in their religion. This is increasing. Um, There are some groups of so-called Christians in the Caribbean area and in South America and Central America, places in the African continent that I'm aware of that uh, use uh, pharmaceuticals to induce uh, mystical experiences um, that are out-of-body experiences, so to speak. They're they're using drugs uh, not to cure, and uh, but they they claim to be Christian, and uh, they're, they're and if they took a lie detector test, they would pass it in their belief that they're a Christian. But it's not to be named amongst us. This is not what we do, and of course there are plenty of other world religions that use drugs. And then you have, and, and I'm aware of this myself, um, I have, I have uh, tried to help uh, Christians that I have ministered to, even here where I live now, that uh, use recreational marijuana um, or, use, or use drugs. And, and they're, not, uh, they're not trying to uh, use drugs in, a, in an illegal manner, except it is illegal and uh, so you know there's this concept of uh, 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 of folks that are trying to ease their burden uh, using um, marijuana um, which is simply a gateway into into other issues so remember, remember that altering the behavior of others through such drugs was the basic function of sorcery and witchcraft well why else would you use drugs than to alter your behavior, to alter your state of mind. And so what difference is there between using drugs to alter others behaviors and then to alter your own? I don't, I don't, I, I'm, I'm just not, I haven't arrived at a level of intelligence I guess yet where I can understand there's not a difference. Uh, there is a, there is no difference. Um, this is not to discount the proper medicinal use of drugs. Um, you know, there are folks that, that are so against, um, for example, one use of a, mount, uh, uh, a very legal uh, mind-altering elixir that, uh, you know, they, they, they don't mind popping open a can or doing this or that on the back of the pickup, but uh, they have... Uh, cough syrup at home that's got so much codeine that they'd have to consume six cases of their Bud Light to get the same buzz and uh, you know that those aren't things that we have to argue about the reality of it is is that is that the legal use of pharmaceuticals is 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 appropriate but the use of anything to alter your behavior to offer your to alter your state of mind is to be avoided. If other people are to avoid it, we are to avoid it too as the people of God. In fact, the Scripture tells us to be sober-minded. And because just as the Bible condemns drunkenness, which is an altered state brought on by alcohol, which I want you to know is a drug. Um, it falls under pharmakia, um, so it would seem to condemn the similar use of other drugs. So, you know, if, if it boils down to to make yourself easy, uh, easier to get along with, to do things, you know, to get rid of anxiety and, and, and things like that, that you have to have a little uh, sip or a snort or a puff, then, you know, you, you need to give me a holler. There's other ways to deal with it than, than that. And the Bible tells us to flee that. Because you'd say, I never thought of drug use as sorcery. I don't think any of us ever did, to be honest with you. But that's exactly the way Paul's looking at it through inspired text. Uh, Pharmacia—it's witchcraft and sorcery, anything that alters your mind. And so anything that replaces the image of God, the Creator with the created, and anything that alters the mind, we are to flee what? We are to flee idolatry and Sorcery. Okay, it's very simple. It's very simple. So as we continue our study on the works of the flesh, we should keep in mind that each one of these sins is a perversion of something which, in its in and of itself, is good. It is a perversion. Perversion. Veritas is the Latin word for truth. Perversion comes from veritas with a uh, with a prefix on it means anti-truth. Perversion is anti-truth. And so um, let me give you some examples of going through these verses right here again of, of how that something that is actually good is perverted by its misuse. And so I'm going to use the ones that are listed here in verse 19. Taking for fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Listen to me, and this is the conclusion Perversions of sexual of the sexual instinct, which in itself can be a beautiful thing and a part of true love between a man and a woman. That perversion of that sexual instinct is known as fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Something that is perfectly good, to pervert it is fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Idolatry. To pervert worship is called idolatry. To pervert worship is called idolatry. So you can write that down. To pervert worship is idolatry. A perversion of the proper use of medical drugs is called sorcery. Now that's, that's, that's not my word. That's not my interpretation. That's what the Bible says, Pharmakia, the, the, the perversion of proper use of drugs is sorcery. Um, the perversion of noble ambition is and the desire to do well which can spur one to greatness. This text calls hatred, contentions, and jealousies. Hatred, contentions, and jealousies are a perversion of the noble ambition and desire to do well and to spur one to greatness. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions are a perversion of righteous indignation without which the passion for goodness cannot exist. And so, a perversion of righteous indignation without which passions for goodness cannot exist are called outbursts of wrath and selfish ambition. I just prepared a a two part series on where do conflicts come from from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'll be delivering those messages soon. And you know, when you look at where rivalries and conflicts come, it's it's these outbursts of wrath and selfish ambition. It's the perversion of righteous indignation without which a the, the desire for goodness cannot exist. Then you have the perversion of devotion to principles which can produce martyrs. Well, when you pervert when you pervert those devotions to those principles, then you have dissension, heresy, and en- envy. I've often said that there are some religions in this world that will kill for their religion. We as Christians are the only ones that will die for it. We will die for it. But uh, that, that is a devotion to our principle. We will not deny, those of us that are the elect of God, we will not deny Christ. It cannot be done. It cannot be named upon our lips to deny Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It cannot be said amongst us. And so if it comes to, to, uh, to uh, uh, revoke or perish, well, I can tell you what's going to happen with me and my house. We're going to perish. And, and you don't need to pray for us because don't deny us our reward because uh, we, we've been worshiping Jesus a long time. I can tell you we're ready to see him. And uh, But whenever you, whenever you pervert a devotion to a principle, you have dissensions, heresy, and envy. And you can see this in denominationalism today uh, very clearly in Christianity, um, and, and particularly a particular uh, strand of Protestantism that has, has literally self-destructed over the last 40 years um, in, uh, in very soulish behavior. Then you have drunkenness and revelries, which is simply the perversion of the happy joy of social fellowship. Um, That's what the text talks about. I'm going to be talking about all of these. And indeed, the following is true. Um, A commentator says, The awfulness of the power of sin lies precisely, lies precisely in its ability to take the raw material of potential goodness and turn it into the material of evil. Let me say that again. The awfulness of the power of sin lies precisely in its ability to take the raw material of potential goodness and turn it into the material of evil. In other words, sin destroys a person's potential for good. Okay? So the last thing I would say to all of this I think that the Lord would have us to hear is to devote our lives to the proper worship of God and his Son Jesus Christ and to abstain from misusing anything God has created for his good purposes and I think if we do that then we can as Paul or as John wrote in first John five twenty one we can flee idolatry and we can flee um, uh we can flee sorcery. Well I'm grateful that you joined us tonight. Father we ask you to bless this word. This is a difficult passage and I pray that it would be received with joy and that we would esteem it highly both from the one that has given it and and from whence it has come from. We pray Father that we know that our godliness depends upon these things and that we should indeed flee both idolatry and witchcraft. Expose our minds to it, if there is any of it in our life, that we may repent and find You uh, merciful and gracious as we flee from these things and look to You for our reward, for all of our happiness, our joy, our, our, our instinct, for our worship, and Father, for all of our desires. May they all be upon You. We thank You for the salvation that You have given us. We thank you that in spite of the fact that our, our righteousness is as filthy rags, you, O oh God, have given us the very righteousness of Christ Himself. And we love you, and we thank you for it, and we seek to live accordingly in the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I'll see you soon.